When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply everybody watching that's yeah. you skydiving in what looks like sandals yeah absolutely chivas that's yeah. how i think skydivers and the people who went on the grand canyon um invented chivas well probably makes sense I've, oh, and uh, they were the, some of the same people yeah i started skydiving when skydivers were bikers okay so that kind of gives you an idea of i don't always see my character but my ability to go outside my comfort zone yeah it's I was a biochemistry student and I started skydiving with all these bikers yeah. because nobody else was stupid enough to jump out of an airplane. That was about in 1990, 91. That's when I, about when I was born. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> but there is that sort of, we were just kind of talking about um, how, how this life is a ride and it's fun and it's crazy and it's so absurd. You almost have to assume that, like when your day comes, your day comes and there probably wasn't a whole lot you were going to do to stop it. Um, it's, you know, I've interviewed a lot of like special forces guys. And one common theme is that like, they, I think they say fate is a hunter and they're like, when, when fate's coming for you, like it's coming for you, you know, mm-hmm. when you're sitting there and you've gone through 10 years of grueling training and you are the tip of the spear, you're, you know, you're spec ops. And then like you're sitting in a Jeep and you like bend over to like pick up a water bottle and then a bullet goes through the seat where your head just was. <laughs> right. They're like no amount of training, no amount of wargaming. You're just kind of like, not today, <laughs> I guess. I'm not, not today. But because I'm rude and a terrible host and have no manners, please introduce yourself before I keep talking and listening to the sound of my own voice. Well, this is a great conversation because it gets to some of my past again. Some people may have missed it. I skydived about 20 years. I've taken uh, several years off because I've been raising my kids. But uh, my name is Dr. Christina Parks, and I started skydiving uh, when I was an undergrad getting a a double major in uh, molecular biology and uh, biochemistry. I then went on to the University of Michigan to get my PhD in cellular and molecular biology, and I continued skydiving the entire time I was there. That's what kept me sane. And uh, yeah, so that kind of, I mean, we're just having this conversation prepared me to, uh, I think you exercise those muscles of, I remember driving to the drop zone every time, like, why am I doing this? <laughs> you know, I could die. And you're talking about having those moments. There were times, actually, I had four malfunctions where my parachute didn't open before I had 50 jumps. And, uh, you know, there was a time when, you know, I couldn't find my parachute, my, my, my handle. And I thought I could spend the rest of my life looking for this, which is about 25 seconds. Yeah. And then I went for my reserve and I couldn't pull it. I only weighed about a hundred pounds at the time. And I had already pulled two reserves. I had already pulled, uh, had two reserve rides at the time. And so I was like, before this was trivial, but now I can't pull it. I got my knee in there. I couldn't pull it. And uh, eventually it did give, but the person who packed it had done something very, very wrong. And uh, it opened. And that's one of those, like at the time, you're just like, okay, all right. But then like three days later, you sit up straight in bed and go like, Oh wow! All right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm in, I'm incredibly rude. I I apologize. It's Doctor Parks, not Miss Parks. I introduced you as Miss Parks, so that's that's egg on my face. So I apologize. But 
No, there is a there is an aspect of that that you can kind of right. I mean, at first you brush it off, and then there's that moment of like fear a couple of days later where you go, "Oh, whoa, like that happens," and then you can you kind of laugh it off. You're like, "That happened," and then there's kind of like a fourth stage where you you can actually take that and kind of kind of apply it to life on a bigger scale. It's like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something as simple as like what goes around comes around. Right. I mean, like water bottle up, water bottle down, but then there's also like the matter that condenses into a star and all the energy and the potential energy that's saved eventually does come out in the form of like a supernova. So there are these little like lessons you can take that do apply to everything. You could take skydiving and you could go, there are days where it's just like, if it's your day, it's your day. And right. And one time my sister called and she was like, you've been skydiving for however many years and why do you have to keep doing this? And she was crying and I felt incredible guilt. And um, so immediately after I called an ex of mine that had gotten me into skydiving and said, what would you say if I bounced, which means to hit the ground at 120 miles an hour. He's like, I'd say you should have pulled. Getting back to that very simple stage of causality of like, you know, it, you know, there are some things that happen. Obviously, if you hit the ground at a high rate of speed, you're going to die. But like, what are you going to make your decision based off of? You know, are you going to, yeah. you know, keep doing what you're doing because that's who you are? Or are you going to live your life in fear? But I think there's the bigger, like you said, so there's the causality. But then there's um, the deeper spiritual aspect of your life and standing for something good and true and right. And not that skydiving is specifically any of those things, but building that courage to stand, to say, hey, I'm way out of my comfort zone or something bad could happen here, but I made this decision and I'm in for the ride and God willing, he will use this for something powerful. Yeah. Um, You know, I've talked about a million times on this podcast, losing my brother to suicide, but something I've talked about a lot less is... um, like the day after my 29th birthday, so August 7th, 2019, I just had like an absurdly rare like uh, like interaction between two medications. Um, and when I tell this story, it sounds like I say an accidental overdose, and it's like, well, no one, aside from suicide, no one intentionally overdoses. But no, it wasn't even like a, hey, I'm going to get high as a kite. It was truly, I just took the wrong thing. And I woke up, two days later in a hospital, no rec. I mean, literally went to bed, like texted my brother. Cause it was my birthday and he was supposed to come up. We were at my parents' lake house and he couldn't, I think he like broke his leg or something. And I was like, Hey asshole, you're on my birthday. Just messing with him. And, uh, and then the next thing is literally like every night I go to bed, I like, turn on like some old documentary or something. I just like listening mm-hmm. to something as I fall asleep. Like just remember turning on a documentary, put it next to my head on the pillow and just kind of like put my head just another night. And, like, the next thing I remember was kind of just, like, looking at, like, a tiled ceiling. And I was like, what? what? Where, where am I? And, like, as I slowly came to, I remember my dad was like, you, yo, you're really sick. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess I was, you know. And I was just trying to remember. And I was like, wait, did I have the flu or something? And then it slowly started to set in that I was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I don't remember anything. But the the point of me saying all that is, is like, it wasn't, it wasn't even like skydiving. It wasn't yeah. even like tackling. <laughs> like walking a, off your steps to go get the mail. <laughs> it, it, I mean, generally, head. it wasn't even like tackling a school shooter 
it was like I went to bed and woke up in a hospital, like intubated, catheter, worst pain of my life, and like beeping machines. And like the toxicologist came in and like she was in tears because she thought I was going to die. And she was like, oh, my God, you're awake. And I was like, I was like, what happened? They had like a like a counselor come in and they're like they thought it was like a suicide attempt. And I was like, no, that absolutely was not like I'm I have no idea what happened. But the point of me saying all that is, is so that was like five months before I started the podcast. So now when I now when I do things and I, you know, I, I get banned from YouTube or I'm going to interview, I interview Dr. Malone or. Dr. McCullough or all these people talking about what's going on, you know, Pfizer hiding data or DOD data or VAERS data. Is this crimes against humanity? What's going on? There is a certain point of like, yeah, I don't really care what happens. Like, I really, I really don't care what happens because I'm just, I'm just at peace with it. So if we could take that. You're on for the ride. Exactly. I am. And that's that's the same thing. When, when that plane is going down the runway, and there's times in the plane where you hear like an engine's quit, yeah. you know, because you've been in the plane so many times, you check your gear, and you're like, okay, I'm ready to get out. But sometimes you're going down the runway, and you know that most accidents happen on takeoff, you know? And there's this exhilarating, you know, feeling as you're lifting off. And you love that feeling. You love the smell of jet fuel, and you love the whole part of it. And it's an exciting ride, and you're like, yeah. We could all crash and burn. And I feel a lot like that right now. Like I'm going 3,000 miles in a race, you know, miles per hour in a race car. And it could, it's just going to ball up any at moment. any minute. But like, any moment. you know, I'm used to that. Like I'm on for the ride. Let's go. Let's take off. Let's do this. Yeah. And, you know, and there's that exhilaration, but there's also in the back of your mind, like, yeah, you know, this, this could be it, but hey, what are you going to do? It's, it's also the most insane ride there is. And it's really nothing. There's nothing better than it. It's before yeah. we were recording, we were talking. They're like, man, like this, it's a scary ride at times, but it's also like, God, it's a blast. It's the most fun yeah. ever. It's the most fun ever. Like I, yeah. it took a long time to get this podcast kind of up and moving and turning into a point where it's like, I get to do this for a living now. But th- I mean, there's a re I've been doing this for a little over two years and this is episode 698. Like there's a reason I do so many and there's a reason why it's because I wake up and I'm just like, what are we getting into today? Like, what's what's the adventure? You know, I was pre-med in, in college. Who are you going to piss off today? Exactly. <laughs> no, it's like I was pre-med in college. I was a biology major at the University of Georgia. I got into medical school in Miami, got into pharmacy school somewhere in North Florida. I decided not to do either. And that was fun. I loved the purpose. I loved the repetition. I loved practicing. I loved mastering things. But I always knew it was coming. I mean, you could look ahead five semesters and be like, I got to take bio or I have to take biochemistry, biochemistry before I can take microbiology, before I can take cellular biology. And you're going on and on and on. And it's great and it's fun, but it does kind of get boring because I don't think that's where my passion was. But with this, I mean, it really is like last Wednesday, I did like I had on Dr. I think Curso, Dr. Merrick and someone else. And I was wrapping it up and then like. Finished it up and I was like, oh, I'm done for the day. And like, I got a call. I think like Dr. McCullough texted me and then someone wow. else called me and they were like, Hey, we have a bunch of truckers in Ottawa who want to do your podcast yeah. right now. I was like, yeah. at first I, I was go. like, I'm so tired. And then I just had this moment and I was like, this is so cool. And so I was like, all right. So I like, I sat down, they had truckers like calling. There was like a, there was like an armada of truckers and they were all calling on their CB radios 
to one person who is then like connecting it via Wi-Fi and I'm recording it on my computer, eating like a shitty microwave dinner, just like listening to him. And they're like, you can hear horns honking and shit. And they're like, we're going to shut down the nation. And I'm just like, cool, cool. And I'm just sitting there. It's like 10 PM. And I'm like, what is going on? But it's, it's the most addicting roller coaster yeah. ride ever. <laughs> You're part of history. And yeah, I mean, you know, being at the stop, the mandates, you know, and I'm like, you know, I mean, my, my father passed away. I'm an emotional wreck, but like yeah. I'm in for this battle and I like don't even have my speeches written. And then, you know, suddenly I'm in the congressional hearing yeah. and, uh, and it's, yeah, it's an exhilarating, emotionally exhausting, anxiety producing, amazing, you know, lots, sometimes I have great peace. Other times I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. Um, but like, it's, um, it's being part of it. It's being a part of history, part of what's happening you can either, you know, we're all just like, how do we get here? We all just said, yes. We yeah. all just stepped forward and said, yeah, I'll be that stupid. I'll, I'll do it. I'll walk <laughs> it. I'll walk across the road. I'll see if there's any trucks yeah. coming. Yeah. In the middle of the traffic on a six lane yeah. freeway. I'm yeah. oh, game. Yeah. Let's go. It's like, do you guys think there's any landmines in that field? I don't know. I'll, I'll run across. Hey, we're good. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> just like, and maybe you're not good. And, but so, but to kind of, so we've been like making light of it, but there's also like a reason to like, why you do it. And if this was just any other thing, I mean, I'd probably do like a couple episodes and then I'd be like, yeah, whatever. But to me, it's so important because it's not just, it's not just your base level. And I always say this and it's not to make light of it, but there's almost something more comforting about like the evil, you know, like, yeah, there's always collusion to make money. Like that's, it's been around since they're building the pyramids. Like, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to build these railroads. Or we're going to get rid of the trolleys so we can sell more cars because big rubber is in bed with Henry Ford or, you know, we're yeah. got to pump oil here. Like, yeah, it's, it's not good, but it's also kind of the evil. It's humans abusing stuff to make money. Yeah. And the sun's going to rise in the east and set like, wh- what point are you making? But to me, there's something much more uh, nefarious about this. Because what it is, is it's a physician like yourself. There are very few. I'm, I'm a PhD. So. A doctor, nonetheless. Yeah, a I'm doctor. A PhD, not, I, don't, I don't treat people. As someone, who's, like. as someone who's not a doctor, you're all doctors. All right. So <laughs> just, just take it. Take it in stride. But there's something about, there are very few people that <clears throat> you've, you're, you sort of grow up knowing you can trust. Like you can trust your parents, your grandparents, but everything else, right? Even you go to, right, I mean, you go to, you go to Jiffy Lube or something, right? You always want to make sure you have the friend that kind of knows how cars work because you're like, am I getting taken for a ride? Is this guy, you need headlight fluid? You know, you don't want to get screwed over. I don't know anything about technology, but even like getting a phone and I'm like, do I need this phone or that phone? You're always trying to like needle in and at least do some due diligence enough to boil it down. Are you getting a fast one pulled on you by some smooth talking salesman? But People in the medical field, I'll put it that way. People in the medical field, there's always been this sort of, like, I just, I trust them. Now, if it's someone, something that I don't need, like, hey, you need plastic surgery, I know. But really kind of anyone, a nurse, a physician's assistant, a PhD, a researcher, a doc, whatever, a psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever. There is this sort of implicit trust that you're like, this person is smart enough to do this. If you're, as my uncle, a, a pathologist who graduated from Duke med school said, if you're smart enough to do this, you're smart enough to do something else, making more money. And to me, what that's always meant is 
they didn't choose investment banking or lobbying for big oil because there's something about them that they want to help people still make money, but help people. And that, that trust that's been built up over generations is to me is what's being crucified right now is, and that is what's so evil to me. And not only that trust, but also the abuse of that, of the, of, of the white coat on the news on Fox or CNN saying, if you don't get this, you're killing grandma. And you're going, hey, I just want to know what's in this. I don't know anything about biology, but aren't some people having like myocard? Oh, look at this guy thinks you're going to get myocard and you're belittled and you, you feel like shit. And it's like, it's one thing to be mean. It's another thing if a trusted person in your life belittles you and gaslights you. That's mm-hmm. kind of where I'm coming from. This, But what is it that's driving you to do all of this? It's exactly the same thing, but um, I got into this battle before COVID, and I got in because of vaccine injury. My um, my my graduate degree um, in cellular and molecular biology was in the field of cytokine signaling, which shows how mm-hmm. the immune system signals. So um, I always saw plausible injury, and I saw weird things happening with the vaccine schedule that didn't make any sense. And as a scientist, you really look at the you look at what's happening a, l- a little more critically, like in, when they were saying, oh, we don't see any evidence that vaccines cause autism. I'm like, that means they haven't looked and they're not going to. You know, as scientists say things in a specific way, and I was able to sort of, you know, listen to what they were saying and go, okay, they're trying to make it sound like they're saying this, but what they're really saying is this. And they moved the vaccines under the age of two. They added things like varicella. So some things went up on my radar and then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse until when I adopted my own children, I was like, what is going on? I've got to figure out what's going on. But I also saw the injury. I saw the autism, the encephalitis, and you couldn't convince me that there was no correlation, right? I didn't know exactly what it was or what the mechanism was, but I thought there was a possible mechanism because when I was in graduate school, we hadn't even identified all of the cytokine receptors. So how in the world could we know what these were doing to the immune system? We didn't even know what all the parts and pieces of the immune system are. We're still figuring that out. And so um, as, and then they um, eventually put PubMed online. And when I realized that there were a few doctors like Dr. Van Humphreys that um, had really looked into the science and got me going down that road. Cause before the internet, there was just not a good way to find this information. And so I found PubMed online and started doing a deep dive into the actual scientific literature. And there's tons of mechanisms. There's hundreds of papers that you can put together, but you have to have the background in in order to tell the story. At the same time, like I remember, you know, my daughter had a brain abscess, severe uh, catastrophic brain damage. She had been home from, we'd gotten her from, uh, you know, adopted her from Ethiopia. She'd been home just a matter of weeks and they wanted to give her the DTaP vaccine. And I was like, no way. She already got catastrophic brain injury. She needs like encephalitis on top of it. Like, no. And, you know, the doctor made me feel like any other parent would have came that like, you know, she's going to die. You know, and she's like, you know, well, pertussis, if she gets it, she might not die. But it's going to be the worst three weeks of your life. And I'm like, yeah, but it'll only be three weeks. It won't be a lifetime of autism or brain damage or, or whatever it is. And um, I was confident because of my background that I knew enough to make a decision most parents cave and then if their child is injured, they feel later and feel like incredible guilt or they spend most of their life in denial that no, no, I really didn't do anything that hurt my child because I didn't know better. 
And so, but when I see these parents being gaslit, so I, you know, it wasn't any of my own personal experience. I don't have a vaccine injured child because I was very careful about which ones I selected. And, um, but watching these parents be gaslit and be told there's no plausible mechanism and, you know, it angered me. And so, and, and I also knew that we can't fix it until we know the mechanism because there's actually, you know, a pleiotropic, just a panoply of different mechanisms of injury. And you have to know what's injuring the specific child to know it's going to work. So you always get, you know, someone saying, well, this worked great for my child. And then everybody else tries and like, it didn't work for my child because it depends on what the mechanism of injury is. And so um, I have, and still learning, learning, learning so that we can know as much as we can about the mechanism of injury so that where there's ability to, <coughs> excuse me, um, recover some of these children and now adults from the COVID vaccine, um, that, that we can do that. And um, it, it feels like a huge uphill battle, but I do believe God is on our side. And I do believe the tide is changing, turning, so that there will be a lot more people demanding this and um, more resources. And so, um, you know, we're trying to get a vaccine injury treatment alliance up and running with doctors and scientists to identify first for the COVID vaccines, but eventually more globally, mechanism of injury, um, and then diagnostics. Because if you don't know what test to have your doctor do, then you can't address you know, you know, they're like, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. I checked the five things I thought to check. And you're like, they didn't check anything that was actually going to tell you something. So if you know, if you already have an idea of what mechanism of injury is, like check these. And then that shows up and they're like, oh, I guess something is wrong with you. And then you can say, if these diagnostics pop up, here's possible treatments. So that's what we're trying to get on for um, COVID injury and eventually for more generally vaccine injury. Again, because so much money has been put into this. This is where, you know, like I'm kind of looking over my shoulder. Um, they don't want to admit that there's this injury because they know that really they are liable because there's an incredible amount of fraud that's been occurring. So even their, their liability free for everything on the childhood schedule. And now that's why they're pushing this vaccine on children is because they're not going to, they're never going to have an FDA approved vaccine that has liability. They're going to move right from the EUA to putting it on the childhood schedule so that it still has no liability. That's why they're giving it to children when they know they don't need it. And so, but even so, there's enough fraud that's occurred here and with the childhood vaccines that they should be able to be litigated based on the fraud that they've perpetuated, not just on, you know, them not having liability. And I don't know anything about this because I'm not a lawyer. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I barely get through the day without dying just in general stubbing my toe or leaving an oven on but i did see something the other week about a, a guy that i think used to work for blackrock but not important what, what he did bring up was um although they are completely immune from liability right that's part of the stipulation of of warp speed which let's play devil's advocate yeah there's a pandemic we don't know what's going on do we want the vaccine now and it might not be 100 percent safe or do we want it in 10 years and it's the, who knows how bad COVID is maybe it's going to kill everyone Let's just play devil's advocate and be like, sure, okay. But this guy said that that fraud vitiates the being free from liability. Right. So there actually could be insane backlash, and I guess this mm -hmm. is this is this is my tinfoil hat. Are they maybe trying to? Are they maybe trying to to rob the bank before it burns down? 
Oh, are they, absolutely. Are they? Are they? Absolutely. Are they flushing all the? Are they flushing all the cocaine before the DEA comes in? Are they trying oh. to get as much money as they can before the whole house of card comes down? The whole house yes, of cards. Yes, absolutely. Comes down. So two things. Yes, they're doing that by pushing the vaccines, and now you're seeing in Europe they're lifting the mandates. But I'm like, they've all been vaccinated. They have like eighty to ninety percent vaccination rate. You know, so all the injury we've only we've only touched the iceberg on the injury and death that's going to occur because of these vaccines. And the other thing is, like, some people think it's depopulation. I don't know what the what the motive is, but, um, you know, the damage has been done. But and the other thing is they want everybody vaccinated. So there's no control group. Yeah. And this is what I saw with the childhood vaccines. I'm like, why are they mandating? Why are they trying to get 95 percent of children <coughs> vaccinated? And the reason is they don't want a control group of healthy children for you to compare it to. And so as a scientist, I see like why they're, I'm like, are they really doing that so that they get rid of, I mean, they're just killing people, <coughs> injuring children so they don't have a control group. I'm not vaccinated. So we got one control. I'm not a kid, but. <laughs> well, that's, they'll say then that's not a big enough sample size. But I mean, that's part of it is if now, um, but we've already have like the DOD data coming out comparing it to last year. Yeah. So it's not going to work, but they're going to keep trying to push it anyway, this, um, getting everybody done so everybody's in the same boat and you know there's nothing you can do about it yeah there's you know there's there's kind of multiple paths to take this discussion on on you know on one hand you know a lot of people do bring up is it depopulation my logic is this you know we've had intercontinental ballistic missiles with thermonuclear warheads since the 50s that's depopulation in 30 minutes granted the world will be uninhabitable okay so let's maybe try to play devil's advocate. I have interviewed Ken Alabek, who is the head of the Soviet bioweapon program and defector of the United States in 1992. They were putting like Ebola and bubonic plague and aerosolized canisters on cruise missiles. I mean, okay, if you want to get it, I feel like if you wanted to do depopulation, it wouldn't be a a voluntary vaccine, even though there is coercion. It's not like we're being knock on wood. It's not like we're being rounded up at gunpoint, right? It is to me, that's not really it might be. Who knows? Maybe it's soft depopulation. Maybe it's right. It steri- could be soft because this is this is going to be a, a soft kill yeah. where people are going to die of many different things: of cancer, hypertension, mm-hmm. heart disease, and they're not and 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 they're going to be sterile. And so you can do it without really what you can't do a thermonuclear warhead without waking people up. Well, well, it's also no no one wants to rule over an irradiated wasteland. Right. You don't. We don't want to. That, I mean, that was the whole idea of the neutron bomb. Or, or one with endemic Ebola. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, my first thought is if this is biological warfare, which we absolutely have to consider, yeah. then it's not it's not going to be the um, the infection that's the weapon because that's not controllable enough. Mm. It would be the vaccine. Yeah, you don't want to. You control exactly who gets it. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be the fire because if you start a forest fire you've opened the gates of hell. You don't know where it's going to go. You, what you would want is to control the fire department. Um, what I think is, I think it could be an even softer depopulation. And this again, isn't I actually don't believe this. I think there's something going on. I don't think it's, I don't think it's just money on the, on one end because you, you can make money. They're putting in a lot of effort for this. I mean, you can, you can do a false flag attack and get a nice little war going and you can, you can pump a couple trillion of the military industrial. That's easy. We've mastered that. You can you can do an 08 financial crisis like you can you you can you can get the printer going pretty quickly pretty easily they're putting a lot of effort into this 
So I don't think it's necessarily that. What I kind of lean towards is it does seem like a good introduction, good for those in power, for uh, passports to control the movement of people, which is it, you want to know where people. Yeah, but are. why such a toxic product then? Why not? Why not? You know, give everybody saline, and everyone thinks it's a great vaccine, and like you know, COVID disappears on its own because we're not pushing its evolution, and so, we're not spraying it in the sky or whatever it is they're doing. So, so that's that's kind of what I'm getting to. Is like, I don't 100 percent believe that either. That it's just for vaccine passports, so it's just control of the media. We have to have a reason to control misinformation, misinformation, because mm-hmm. the internet's the wild west. I think there would be somewhat of a softy population where it's myocarditis, where it's strokes, where it's going to be people dying in five or ten years, and you're not going to know what the control group is. I think it. I think this. I think it might be even softer than that, and it's just mass sterilization, because that. Mm-hmm. As bad as that is, the reality is this: most people wouldn't riot or revolt over that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, a lot of people would, but most people would just be like, oh, "I guess we're not having kids." Well, you know, the climate is whatever. They would just kind of. You could probably mm-hmm. still adopt. You can still. There, some people are still having kids. It's soft enough that it wouldn't be worldwide like revolution. So, I think it's. Right. I think it is depopulation, but it's in. It's depopulation in that they're not allowing it to continue to grow. Hey, I'm not going to kill you guys. You're all grandfathered in. We're not letting a new wave come. That's a kind of where I think I'm... it's both. I think um, based okay. on the science that there's a lot of evidence supporting um, massive deaths within the next two to five years. Oh yeah, those uh, those um, insurance from... that insurance guy, mm-hmm. that insurance, the head of that insurance company that came out and said there's a forty percent increase in deaths. Yeah. And that's, this is just, this is just the tip. Yeah. It's just the tip because, but it's going to be because of the, you know, the multiple avenues of injury from the spike protein and from the vaccines. Um, You're, you know, you're going to see so many different things. You're going to see cancer. You're going to see heart disease. You're going to see anything that's aggravated from inflammation. You're going to see like people are getting these weird clots. And so uh, there's going to be so many different mechanisms that people aren't going to put it together. They're going to be like, well, how can all these things be related? And that's one of their gaslighting techniques for vaccine injury because there's so many different ways that you can injure. It doesn't all look cookie cutter. And so it depends on your particular genetic and also environmental weaknesses in your body. And that's what you're going to get. Yeah. Right? So, uh, you know... And so because it all looks different, they're saying it's not the same thing when, in fact, it is. It's just that it hits you at your weakness. Yeah. Um, and because I can keep spiraling off into conspiracies, and I do every day, unapologetically. But so as not to continue to do that, I'll, I'll kind of focus it more on, on your expertise. Um, but to kind of pull it back, it makes me think of, and I've brought this up before, um, in the Third Reich, Doctor Doctor Kurt Bloma, I think he had the because right World War One, we had mustard gas, chlorine gas, whatever. But it was you'd shoot it, and then quite literally the the winds would change, and all of a sudden it turned into like a suicide shot. They had the idea of the the sword and the shield, and it was let's have a bioweapon, an infectious bioweapon, but first. That's the sword, but we'll have the shield. The shield will be first we'll vaccinate the high command and then the SS and then the SA and then the Wehrmacht and then the German population and then 
our willing allies. So we'll have this and then we can unleash this thing on everyone else. Luckily, it didn't work in time. Spoiler alert, we ended up bringing him to the United States. But we had that. And their idea was as that evolved was you could also start to they were looking ahead like decades as 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 biotechnology evolved, you could actually start to target individual populations. Um, uh, Japan had a similar unit called Unit 731 with Shiro Ishii in Manchuria. They made the Nazis look like Boy Scouts, the things they did. Spoiler alert, we also brought most of them back over. But again, they were using these, it was still very much the forest fire analogy. Not the gas where you shoot the gas and the wind changes, like they could kind of control it a little better. But again, they want to release bubonic plague, Ebola. You're opening the Bad gates idea. of hell. You're opening the gates of hell. Good suicide well, and, threats. And but... I think they realize that the, these vaccines aren't actually that effective and that they do have some side effects. Yeah. And so they probably saw some of that. And again, it just makes, you know, SARS-CoV-2, and I, I don't even think the second wave was the same thing as the first, whether it's a different variant or, or whatever it was, but um, just based on things that don't make sense to me. But you know, isn't that deadly? And we, we, you know, we've already known it could be treated with hydroxychloroquine. We, you know, we already knew all of that. We knew that there were, were treatments for it. And so clearly they always intended to push the vaccine. Yeah. Clearly, you know, I don't know if there's, you know, batches of vaccines that contain certain things that they're trying to experiment, put a digital platform in us. I, I don't know, you know, depopulate. I don't know what their agenda is. There's a lot of questions but I think clearly it was always the vaccine because yeah. I think that they realized they don't want, again, to unleash this forest fire or have the winds change. Um, but now they're, you know, so like what's the deal with Omicron? Now their narrative is falling apart. So did they release Omicron to provide sterilizing, nutri- you know, uh, sterilizing immunity? And so we're done after Omicron passes through. And if so, what's next? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. is it? Is it a, you know, a cyber attack? Is it, you know, are they just going to, you know, run with the, I mean, they could just put in the press the, the fear of Marburg, you know, mm-hmm. and many of us know that they've already weaponized that. So um, are they going to just try to scare people into the next wave? You know, oh, there's Marburg, get the vaccine for Marburg. Yeah. yeah. Before it even, you know, there's any, even any evidence of it. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what it is but i mean clearly people are consolidating power i don't know if it's because they were fearing that people are waking up now that we have you know we're we're in a paradigm shift to information where people can get information outside of the direct sources that they're feeding it to us in yeah and so you know there's the deep state the globalists are they threatened or do they always plan this i mean i don't have the answers but clearly it's it's bigger than just big pharma yeah. Um, you know, I was going to say one thing you could maybe look at would be in several years, if there's a disproportionate amount of deaths in one in in one specific group of people, which means it would have been targeted against that that race or ethnicity, but it was spread all over the world as sort of a smokescreen. Or you could say, is there one group of people who didn't get sick? Let's say nobody from Let's say in five years, like the total number of deaths, it's jumping all over the world except for whatever, Japan. And you'd be like, oh, Japan released that. And it was a smokescreen because, oh, Japan got it too. That's that's one angle of... We well, were- there's, the, you know, I don't know if you've read Judy Mikovits's work. No. Um, and, you know, one of her thoughts was, 
the thing is, these vaccines, um, I don't know if you're aware of, if you've heard the SB40 story. Say it again. Or the HIV or the Ebola story. So, like, what's more likely? That um, somebody was bashing in some monkey's brains and they got Ebola or simian immunodeficiency virus and it spread to humans. Or we grew tons of polio vaccine in monkey and, and chimpanzee kidney cells and we took the live virus from them um, the live polio virus and injected into millions of Africans. And since it was a live polio virus, it contained simian immunodeficiency virus. It contained the Ebola virus, which was in monkeys. And we basically gave it to the human population through these vaccination campaigns. Likewise, the, the polio vaccines um, in uh, America were contaminated with simian virus 40, a cancer-causing tumorigenic, the prototypical cancer-causing tumorigenic virus because we grew it in monkey kidney cells and it was a live virus and then we injected it into us and it, it wasn't properly um, inactivated. So we, and let other, and then other things we've grown, the MMR is a live virus, we grew it in cells, contaminated with mouse viruses, contaminated with all sorts of animal viruses, which then this is why the first world is so sick is because now we've got all these different viruses that are causing inflammation and causing all sorts of different weird things to go on in our bodies. And one of her, I would, I would say it's on the level of conspiracy theory, but um, it's a thought, is that the people who get COVID who really do poorly are going to be many of the ones who have some of these viral infections, latent viral infections, like, you know, mouse, she's, she worked on mouse retroviral infections and things like this. And so, um, are they trying to call those people out because they know that eventually that's going to be found out that they spread that. And if they're all gone, like all of those unhealthy people, and this may be why we see such a higher death rate in the first world versus in the third world where one it's a younger population. Um, and so they may not have gotten some of those same vaccines or whatever, but two, um, we are the most vaccinated, you know, in the world. And so we are, we are, um, strongly much more carriers of these weird um, animal viruses that they don't want you to know where they came from. Yeah. Um, so I just thought I'd add that to your, no, your I, cue of conspiracy I, theorists. Yeah. Yeah. People always kind of like shy away from conspiracies. But to me, to me, what a conspiracy theory is, is we're just trying to put together the pieces of, of what's, of what's going I did research in college it was not you know I've, I've interviewed researchers like yourself so I always feel like a fraud bringing up my like undergrad research because it was just it was I just needed a publication so it helped me get into med school but it was we were basically poisoning little fish with like nickel and putting them in solutions with increasing amounts of different salts we wanted to see which salts would bind to the ligands or something so the nickel wouldn't the effects of salinity on nickel right. toxicity to the two-year alien fish species, Cryptolebius marmalatus and Fungios heteroclinus. I remember well, I'm that. glad you memorized that. I had well, to. Are I you had... familiar with Chris Exley's work, which he did, which was amazing work? No. He did kind of the same thing, but with aluminum, because, you know, many of the vaccines are filled with aluminum. Well, he wasn't originally interested in vaccines, but people found him because of the aluminum in the vaccines. And his work started with putting fish in tanks with aluminum and coming back the next day to find them dead and putting stuff in the tanks to try to See, yeah. find out what they would live. And he found that high silica water, like Fiji water, yeah. um, actually the, the, the silica binds the aluminum, pulls it out of the system and they live. So um, you can actually detox your child from aluminum from the vaccines by like having them drink high silica rich water. This so anyway, is, it is, is all, what you did was relevant. This has all been a ploy. You work for Fiji. 
This is all. Been, <laughs> this has been a forty-five minute infomercial. You have you have backstabbed me. You have stolen my trust. Podcast over. But no, it's. But my point is like, what I did like about it, as much as I I did, didn't and still don't care about like little fish and toxic nickel toxicity. What I did like about it was it wasn't just, you know physiology and anatomy that was just kind of like rote memorization organic chemistry was a little cooler because you had to kind of learn all these processes and then you'd be given a unique question and it was like okay let's use the tools i have research was like the next level above that like there was no professor to go to and be like you know i just can't figure out question practice question 11 can you explain it to me because the, <laughs> because the professor was like yeah i don't know either that's why we're doing the research and there was yeah. something kind of thrilling about that like oh we actually don't know and yeah. so you have to kind of, but it kind of fine hones the senses. You're like, oh, so we actually have to, there is no like answer sheet at the back of the book. We have to see what's going on. And I love that because you would start looking at things, you would say conspiratorial. You'd be like, all right, I think it's, because if we see these two things over here, the ones with the magnesium, they, they do this until like day four. All the other ones die. But have you ever seen that the ones where we put a ton of calcium, they don't die but when they do die, they all die at once. So, and you kind of make up a model and then it turn, and then you do another experiment and your model's completely bunk and you're like, shit. And so like, you kind of come up with like another hypothesis and you get closer and closer and you kind of start getting rid of like the fog. You start focusing the image more like an optometrist. And then you're like, there it is. And you can look back and you go, oh, we were really close. Or you go, man, we were in left field. Like we were not even remotely but you have to have it. And to me, kind of regardless of the, and not to just brush it aside, but regardless of the whole idea of like a global depopulation plan and consolidation of power and like one world government, all that aside, there's just the kind of attack it's having on research in general. Because if like, if my professor had ever said like, you guys are idiots, you got to stop coming up with these like ideas. Like, we'll be like, well, we don't, we only know in hindsight that we had five ideas. Two of them weren't close. Two of them were kind of close. And one of them was bingo but we didn't know which one was bingo. We had to throw them all out there, including the stupid ones, which were probably mine. But nonetheless, you have to do all of those. It's like playing Battleship or, you know, you like you have like Minesweeper. Like you have to click them all. You, 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 might, you might blow up, but like you can't say, oh, that was a stupid click. Like, no, you, you have to. You have to do this. And I, I love that perspective because it's my perspective. I'm not a conspiracy theorist in the sense that I don't hold too tightly onto any one model. No. So like the people that I worry about are the ones, you know, that are like, there was viruses don't exist. I'm like, well, that defines, you know, how you define a virus, <laughs> yeah. you know, cause there's a lot, there's a lot more to it, but um, it's like, here's a bunch of models and you have to be able to keep a lot of information in your mind so that when you get new information, you're like, okay, well that throws out that model and it adds to this one and mm -hmm. you know and so i agree it's natural for scientists to do that because you know when i heard 80 percent of deer have uh antibodies to covid well i haven't been out kissing any deer so you know are they spraying it you know and anybody who looks up and doesn't see some of the chemtrails or whatever you want to call them sure. it's like are you just denying reality so you know i'm not about denying reality i'm not about trying to come up with it but let's face it we're all trying to figure out what's happening in our reality whether it's what's happening with a vaccine injury or what's happening globally 
Now, I don't have time to go into every conspiracy theory globally. I would rather use my skills to help people solve the scientific problem, yeah. right? But of course, we all, when we're you know driving or whatever, are thinking, you know, trying to put together the pieces, and that's what scientists do. So it's actually natural for us to ask those questions and and try to figure out which model fits best. Yeah. So I absolutely agree with you that that, that that's the fun, and I think. I think the downside of that is most people are not scientists. And this is where scientists and doctors are very, very different. Doctors sort of take what's told to them and say, okay, I trust you as a colleague. And if you say this, you know, where scientists are always looking at the pieces of the puzzle and saying, well, wait a minute, you know, or what about this? Or, well, how did you do that? And I tell my students, because I teach, to always ask, how do you know that? Yeah. Right? How do you know the vaccine is 95% effective? What does that even mean? Yeah. You know, to ask those questions, which so much of our society doesn't. And I think one of the reasons they don't is everybody wants to believe that there's some godlike figure out there that has all the answers, that if they just follow them, they're going to be safe. And, and so one of the things that was kind of scary as I got into vaccine injury and as I got into the, the thought of trying to help people was this idea that like, what if I tell somebody the wrong thing? Like, what if I say, here's the information I think will help you, or like maybe these products, you know, this company sells might be helpful or whatever. Everybody's different. Everybody's biochemistry is different. I can't, you know, I don't know enough to solve everybody's problem all the time. It's incredibly complex. So should I just do nothing? And I'm like, you know, let somebody else solve it. And then I was like, I realized there is nobody else. And I don't mean there isn't other people working in the vaccine injury field. There are, but there is nobody that has all the answers. Yeah. There's no God in the sky, like some little white haired guy or whatever. That's like, Oh, here's the answer. And in the absence of that, am I just going to let people suffer because all I have to offer is imperfect information and the, the, my current models. And so when you, a lot of people really think that that's where that trust is sort of misplaced because we've said, trust me. And you'll see doctors like, a lot of doctors are, are extremely arrogant, even ones that I like that are nice. And I almost feel like you kind of have to be to give somebody something and say, here, this will fix your problem. Someone tells me, and I have like a hundred things go through my mind, a hundred different models of what could be going on. And I'm like, I, I don't know. And it's not because I'm clueless. Actually, I know a ton of information, but it's so complex that I know the answer might not be really simple. Some things are, but many are really, really complex. And so the doctor's just fine, just handing them run-of-the-mill diagnostic and treatment and saying, this is what you get. I'm like, you know, ah, there's a lot going on here. So many doctors are very arrogant and maybe they need to be to, to not worry about, I guess, just gave them that medication. Are they going to go home and have a reaction to it or something? And then when you have a reaction to it, they're like, yeah, no, it was, you know, that, it, it wasn't the medication. You're fine or yeah. you're not or whatever. So I think that um, in some ways we acquiesce to that misplaced trust we've said i would rather put my trust in you and pretend you have all the answers than actually accept the reality that life is really complicated and nobody really knows and this is just the best we have and it might not be nearly good enough yeah i mean it's a uh, tim dillon the comedian said it best he goes the he, and he kind of and he puts it in the lens of, uh, or the analogy of politics, but I think it applies to science as well. He goes, if you say I'm a registered X or Y, I'm a Republican, a Democrat, a liberal, a conservative, whatever, what that really is, is the, um, 
it's washing your hands of the burden of critical thought. If you mm-hmm. just look at something and we've all seen them before, right? Go back 10 years or something. And someone's like, Hey, you know, what are you? I'm a Republican. I'm voting for McCain. They go, do you like this plan? That's, this is McCain's. And they go, yeah. And they go, actually it's Obama's right. Or vice versa. Hey, did you like yeah. this? Yeah. I love Bernie. Yeah. Well, this is Trump's plan. They're like, it's very easy. You don't want to think for yourself. No, it hurts, right? You got to get the neuron sweating. But like, it's the suspension of the burden of independent thought. You go, well, listen, the guy on the TV said it's safe and effective. So, you know, it's, listen, guys, it's safe and effective. It's not fun to be like, it's kind of weird. I interviewed the guy that invented it and uh, I got permanently suspended from YouTube I was just kind of, and then I get banned from something else. And I'm like, I just, I just have some questions. That's it. I just want to, and they're like, guys, it's safe and effective. I'm like, I just, it's kind of weird because there is, there's a huge private corporation making billions of dollars and there's a lot of people dying. I'm just looking at, I don't care. I just want to know. And they're like, shut up Nazi. And you're like, I don't even know why, what? And so that is the, it's the burden of independent thought, but it's also, that's how you get at the at the truth, Joseph Lister was ridiculed for using ethanol and um, carboxylic acid to clean surgical tools. He was ridiculed wow. his whole life, and some of the stuff he was doing actually wasn't right. He thought that you had to pump it in the air above the surgery room to have like yeah. a cloud. That was right. that was actually wrong. But the other things he was doing, he knew the use of of alcohol and uh, carboxylic acid was reducing the number of. Uh, sepsis related deaths now he didn't know was it because he covered the the operating area was it because he sterilized the utensils was it because he did his little cloud it was something because survival rates for like breast cancer surgery went from like like four percent to like 80 percent and it was like yeah and then there's there's having the humility to to go I'm going to go forward because like, that's where I'm at. I have to, I, I yeah. ethically owe the world something yeah. from my perspective, but having the humility to say, I know some of this is wrong yeah. and we're just doing the best we can. But I also um, want to get to your point because I think that that goes politically as well, because I think that I do really value that independent thought. And I do, I think one of the biggest issues of discomfort that I have is that we all tend to stay in our, our little niches. Um, so in West Michigan, my little niche has been, you know, conservative homeschooling moms, yeah. right? Or, you know, white patriot. And then you meet someone else. And, and, and then like, you know, I have friends with the Nation of Islam. Then maybe you have friends with the Black Church or you have friends, you know. So as you, as you try to navigate things, you become better known, like, you know, as I'm becoming more well-known. I think a lot of people sort of hide in their label. I'm just going to talk to this group because I feel comfortable with their platform. They're comfortable with me. I know I'll be validated. And I feel, you know, I want to think critically. I think I want to think critically about problems in the African-American community. And I've engaged different people in that conversation um, from different aspects. And so I want to hear what this group has to say and what that group has to say, because I actually want to find solutions. And I'm not necessarily going to agree with every group, but where it becomes uncomfortable is I think many groups get stuck in their model. And it's easy. And that's what politics is, especially the media will start attacking. You know, if you align yourself with this group, this group's going to attack you. If you align yourself with this group, this group's going to attack you. So if you talk to all of them, 
is everybody going to attack you or is nobody going to attack you? Yeah. <laughs> like, probably everybody. Yeah. Because that's what our media does, right? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I think you had a good point. It's like you ethically have to move forward as a medical professional. But to me, it's as a not medical professional. But I mean, it's just a person like you have to be true to yourself and whether you are trying to find the best vaccine or whether you are you're leaving a band because you're like i've really got this idea for a solo album or whatever or you know whatever a podcast that i'm doing like you do have to move forward because you've you're like something's working like there's something it's like cracking a safe you're like there's something it's right here and like minesweeper or something you're like i know that I have the humility. It's like you said, some of it's going to be wrong and I'm going to step on it and it's going to explode. And people might take that explosion to invalidate everything else I'm doing, but I'm going to keep pushing forward because I think it can be done. I, th- I think this thing can be, can work. I mean, Elon Musk's self-landing rockets, how many times did they explode? And people are like, look at even his own heroes, like uh, Apollo veterans were like, this guy has no idea what he's doing. And then he lands it and everyone's like, he's ushering in the age, the new age of like space. And it's like, hey, let's not exactly. forget. How many people want to take that chance? And so if there's yeah. one thing that's most disconcerting to me right now that feels the scariest, it's going out and just standing on what I believe or yeah. know to be true. And, and and I don't mean true in like every single idea, but like, yes, this is worth pursuing. Yes, this is worth investing in. And that doesn't mean, again, we don't know which of the ones that is working. You know, something here is working and something is not. But again, whatever part of that blows up, is that going to invalidate all my credibility with everything? Or am I just going to get attacked anyway? Because um, so many people do, they play it safe, um, both politically. And that's why we're here, because they play it safe and they kowtow to the establishment or they're not brave enough to say, yeah, there's some truth in that idea, too. Yeah. Or they just stay with the ideas of their little party. So we don't have enough unity across these different groups to fight, whether it's the globalist or the deep state, whoever's bringing this on. We don't have enough unity because we're all staying in our comfortable little enclave. Yeah. Um, and I do this every episode. Uh, I got to run to the restroom. Can you like monologue for like 30 seconds? Do you have any websites? <laughs> or so? I literally, because it's so much easier to just not edit it. I just ask people like, can you just talk for 30 seconds? And it's not really a question. It's kind of a demand. So uh, welcome to the Dr. Parks podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess since he left, um, we'll just talk about some mechanisms of injury from the COVID vaccine. And um, some of the ones I'm most concerned about are the fact that um, there's some modeling data that shows that it binds to a tumor suppressor gene. We have a tumor suppressor gene called P53, which actually what it does is it um, it checks our DNA to make sure when it's replicated that our cells don't divide if there's damage to the DNA. There's damage, it actually tells the cell to commit suicide. And so that gene working properly is really, really important. And there's some evidence that the spike protein might be binding to and potentially inactivating that. So do we know that's happening? No, but there's data suggest it is happening. And because under the EUA emergency authorization, they never tested its ability to cause cancer. Um, we're not going to know that until it's way too late. There's another mechanism by which it might be causing cancer by um, misregulating something called our toll-like receptors. Our toll-like receptors respond to viruses, bacteria, but they also help us actually um, survey for cancer. So there's two very um, 
scary mechanisms by which the vaccines may be inducing cancer and more research will be needed to tell that's really happening, but there's definitely signal in increased cancers uh, post-vaccination. So this is something to watch closely. And another reason why I think people should be mad as hell that we basically just use the whole world as an experiment. Um, thank you. Yeah, for doing- thanks for just hanging me out there like that. Hey, dude, it's, hey, we just said we like the challenge of having nowhere else to go. So I just, I just burdened you with the, the burden of independent thought. You had to just stand on your feet. You're welcome. That was a learning experience. Um, most people freeze up. Some people are really good. They just take it in stride naturally. Um, but so did you actually go to the bathroom or you just screwing with me? Oh, no, no. I, I do have to go. I, I drink like five of these per podcast. I'm an idiot. Um, I, you'd think I'd learn by now, but at this point, I'm just like, you know what? This is what's happening. And um, yeah, so it happened. But, I think you're hysterical. <laughs> well, it's, it's very long. People always ask, how come you don't edit it out? Because I got permanently banned from YouTube, I can only upload to BitChute, Rumble, and Odyssey. Those have a cap on the size of the data file that you can upload. For Zoom, the Zoom file is actually very well like compressed. Like an hour-long conversation is maybe like one gigabyte. But if you have to clip something out, you got to go to like iMovie or something, and you're not just cutting it off. If you have to clip something in the middle and then seam the two, for whatever reason there's an exponential increase in the file size. So like, Interesting. that's like, that's genuinely the reason why I don't edit it out is on YouTube. It didn't matter. hundred gigabytes, whatever I upload, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Just upload it overnight with this. If I clip it out, this might be like a, a 1.1 gigabyte size conversation. If I clipped out that and seamed it together, it might go to like five or six gigabytes, which is fine for rumble. But now Odyssey and BitChute, I can't mm-hmm. upload it. It's just one. I know. And isn't all of this is like I really um I really value there's a lot of uh social media influencers on Telegram that work with me and whatnot, and they'll clip stuff and, and they're really so important in information dissemination because like I'm a scientist. I'm like, you know, and I'll we're in some groups and I'll be like, Can you clip this? Because we need to share this particular piece of information. So it's amazing. Like we do need so much technical expertise and everything is changing so quickly that it's, it's really overwhelming to try to, we're trying to build something in the middle of just this major, it's like a a war, you know, there's bombs falling on all sides and we're trying to build something and, and that can get overwhelming. And I think we have to have a little of a uh, patience with ourselves. So yeah. And and in fact, most people, they don't really care if you went to the bathroom. So we've got to let go our ideas of perfection and realize, okay, this is a war. It might not be pretty. Well, well, most importantly, I don't care if anyone cares I have to go to the bathroom. I just do. Get over it. I always tell people, do you leave in dead air? Fast forward 30 seconds. Get over it. So that's just my, that's my, anyways. So what you're talking about last week is, or not last week, excuse me. I interviewed two people last week. Dr. Audity Bargava, the head of mRNA research at UCSF. I'd had her on twice before, once by herself, once with Dr. Malone. She came on last Thursday. With a uh, with a PhD student, uh, Martha Fowler, who's working with nanomedicine and tissue engineering, brilliant. But they were her concern. She reached out to Dr. Bargava. She's not even one of Dr. Bargava's students, but she reached out. Well, how to do you spell her name? What was her name? Dr. Bargava, B H A, B H A R G A V A, Oddity, A D I T I, Dr. Oddity Bargava. 
Okay. Yeah, I can just send. I can just send you the episode. Sure. Um, she's brilliant, and she had this. I thought it was her student, but it was just a research student. Martha Fowler reached out to Dr. Bargova because she was like, "I feel like I'm going crazy. Like I'm not even working in COVID. I'm working in something like brain cancer." But she mm-hmm. was like, "We question each other all day long on every little." Not just why'd you get this result, but why'd you use this solution? Why'd you use mm-hmm. this milli, milli, millimolar solution? Why'd you use right. this pipette? Absolutely. Why'd you use this? And she goes, but then I question, hey, what do you guys think about the VAERS data? And it's almost like the fangs come out. And it's like this weird, how come we can't talk about it? So yeah. th- they were on last Thursday. But to kind of bring that around to what you were just saying, how we have to question everything. And we do have to piece together every. And in hindsight, we'll go, oh, wow, I did look like a crazy conspiracy theorist. But you have to take in all data. Like, I mean, how do you get the best like results? Like you go to like Google, old, imagine old Google before they went like communist. But it's the thing that's like it's indexing all of the Internet. And so you can find everything, you know, 1.5 billion results in half a second. You bring it all in. There's a lot of noise, but you can find the signal. So... What you do is when you look at something and it's, okay, deer have it. Why do deer? Maybe it is aerosolized. Instantly, oh, you're a chemtrail. No, I'm not. But let's just, we're in a physical reality. We're on a planet. There's three phases of matter here. Well, there's plasma and labs. Okay, we have this. We know there's climate. We know there's gravity. How would this virus get around? And you just have to open your mind to everything. You have to open your mind to every. Did, did Jackie Kennedy shoot JFK? I don't think so. But she was next to him, so we'll put that in there. No, I don't think it was. We'll throw it out. It was probably Lee Harvey. But the second you start cutting things out based on, well, that's you're now you that might be the answer. And a lot of it is kind of rubbish, but you do have to look at everything and go, what are the results of this? Why is all of this happening? You can very quickly, like a Google result, you can pretty much you don't really need to go past page two, right? But it's good to have it all because sometimes that's where the gem is. So that being said, and again, I know we're kind of like lightly kicking aside, aside from like a, you know, a, 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 a technological totalitarian communist dictatorship taking over the world and using a vaccine to deseril- or sterilize everybody. Again, move that little thing to the side. I was thinking about, I was thinking about uh, CubeSats. And there are these little tiny satellites like the size of like a shoebox. And you can put you can put really small kind of sensors on everything. It doesn't need to be this giant school bus sized Hubble telescope that costs billions of dollars. You can just and I've had people on this podcast, like college students can actually they can kind of build their own CubeSat. I mean it's truly, you know, some some of them are are this big. You put a little camera on it, little infrared something, and then whatever. And it can beam back down via like Wi-Fi. It's really cool. They don't have enough money to send them up on rockets because that's where all the back to Elon Musk. That's where all the price comes in. NASA and even like the NRO, the National Reconnaissance Office, they actually do this sort of like academic outreach thing where a lot of them will have like artificial ballast, like they'll have like concrete or water or something just to just to offset the weight of it as it's going. I don't know orbital mechanics. But they needed something to just kind of offset the weight. They've started doing something like five years ago where they'll reach out to these colleges can apply. And instead of that ballast, you can insert your CubeSat. Now, granted, 
something like the NRO, which is part of the intelligence community. Everything gets scanned. They want to make sure you're not a foreign national. They want to make sure you're not sabotaged. They go through all of it. And then they find out like, oh, this really is just some, I have a friend from Georgia Tech who's doing it. And he directly works with like inner city kids who like want to learn about like orbital mechanics. So it's like they're doing this little thing that they're all building together. And so the point of that is, is the value is in getting up to orbit. There's, there's a purpose to this rant. The value is in getting up to orbit. So I have all these little CubeSats going up there. You finally get them up there, and it's the, the main satellite, the spy satellite releases, and then you have all these little CubeSats that kind of open up and release out. The, the real estate is so valuable to be in orbit, to be able to look down on Earth, to be able to do whatever, yeah. that everyone involved in this has to sort of vie, has to sort of position themselves into getting their own little experiment up there because mm-hmm. the real estate is so valuable. Right. The point of me saying all of that is one conspiracy to look at is the use of mRNA technology. Forget COVID, forget anything. Mm-hmm. If there is an opening, sorry, are you okay? It looked like your neck was twitching. No, my neck is bothering me. I'm going to chiropractic after okay? this. So. Are you okay? Yeah. Okay. I want to make sure that you're not uncomfortable. Sorry. Um, um, So one way to look at this is, is go, it has nothing to do with COVID. Mm -hmm. What if it's just a perfect storm, right? A pharma company normally has to pay like $15 billion over 15 years and do a three-phase clinical trial to get their thing out there. And it might not even work. And if it does work, another company might put something out better. There's all this money involved. You know, are we going to get sued or there's yeah, a, but why weren't they more careful then? Like, but, if that was the case, like, they're not really that stupid. Why did they use the whole spike protein? Why didn't they just use the receptor binding domain? And either somebody who did this is really, really stupid, or, you know, because if you want to launch mRNA technology, you've got to absolutely make sure that it's as safe as can be so that you don't have backlash. But so, the, again, kind of like the Minesweeper thing, I don't know. I'm, I'm moving forward with my conspiracy. What is it really? It's you're free from liability. The government will pay for all of the R&D. The government will buy everything. We're going to mandate it so people have to take it. And people of every race and every age and every medical background are going to take it. So what is that really? It's a completely free, actually you're making money off of it, uh, clinical trial. N equals 7 billion. It is it is it is the pharma CEO's wet dream. And what? I don't even have to pay for it? Wait, I'm going to get paid for it? I can't be sued? People have to take it? Uh, from a little old, from a little tiny like black girl to like an old white Irish guy and everyone in between has nothing. Forget, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be, it could be mRNA, vac, or sorry, it could be the spike protein. It could be Tylenol. They are getting an invaluable amount of feedback Undoes the mRNA technology. Right, but they're going to be destroyed by this. I just don't see how they live through this. Again, this is just kind of one of my running hypotheses. Mm-hmm. It's probably yeah. not right. But like that valuable real estate of getting up to orbit, mm-hmm. man, this is a once in a lifetime chance for these ruthless uh, pharma companies. It is. To get, it is. And, and some of those people are going to take the money and run for sure. Yeah. And if we're going into a new era of mRNA vaccines, mm-hmm. like moving from an launch. old phone to moving from flip phones to like 
flat screen phones, not even individual iPhone 10 or 11, but just touch screen phones, if we're moving into the mRNA age, what if you could get all of your research subsidized and have a population size of everyone on the planet of every race? Yeah. And then it doesn't matter. It's COVID or, or flu or yeah. smallpox. It doesn't matter. Now, there are a lot of holes in that theory, like the mm. killing the fish with the nickel. There's a lot of holes in the theory, but I'm just trying to look at what would one thing be? There's a lot of value in not mm. having to pay for any of the mRNA research. Yeah. And, and rain. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one of my running thoughts. Um, You okay to do like like 10 more minutes and then we'll wrap this one up. Probably about 10 more because I do need to run to the chiropractor and then. Do you want it? We can end it now. I'm, I don't want you to be uncomfortable. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, whenever you're ready. I didn't know if you have any more. Uh, oh, no. What your other, any questions or okay. ideas? It's been a, a marvelous interview, but yeah, I am eager to get to the chiropractor too. So. Okay. Well, I was going to say, if, if you have any closing thoughts, I was going to give the last 10 minutes to you, but if you would like yeah, to run, I think, you can run. Um, yeah, I do. I mean, I think at its base that these vaccines are just unsafe in just about every way, shape, or form. And um, I think that the consolidation of power shows that this is um, bigger than, than pharma. I think some of the censorship is not, I mean, yes, the scientific ideas are being censored, but um, they're willing to let people die. They're, you know, like uh, with the hydroxychloroquine, the ivermectin, and, and I guess you could say that's big pharma too, but um, I think that there's been a consolidation of global power. So this is getting to the conspiracy theory, but at the end, people are dying. And so that's why I persist in trying to get information about the vaccines out, about vaccine injury out, because people can't um, manage their health without proper information. And so at that level, you know, that's where we're called to be warriors, to get information out so that people can make an informed choice about whatever, whatever it is, whether we're, we're peddling at conspiracy theories or, or peddling the basic sciences, what I generally stick to, um, is just to enable people to protect their health. And so I just am sort of trying to be a sentinel in the wilderness like many others. Um, but also I think that there's a bigger call and that that's a call to courage. Um, you know, I don't know if you saw my Stop the Mandate speech and. Uh, I, I said an F word, I said a bad word. And, um, but I think that part of that, and um, some of the scientists aren't willing to step away from just a very didactic explanation of the science. And I am because there's a bigger call to courage. And those scientists have courage, but sometimes in order to evoke courage in others, you have to do it in a way that's not just talking about the science. And so, and it's not just the courage to stand up against the mandates, it's the courage to stand up against all of the structures that are falling, all of the structures that have been in place to keep us divided and separated, not talking to one another, fearful of one another, fearful of ideas. And, um, you know, I think that that is really the call right now. You know, in, in the issue of racism, which has affected my life in some very deep ways that maybe some people aren't aware of, um, to me, the more core issue is one of cowardice, right? So you might have one person who does something that's racist, but if everyone around them stood up and said, wait a minute, you know, that doesn't make any sense or that's racist or whatever, 
But what happens is, and especially, you know, where it's more institutionalized is someone does something stupid or racist <clears throat> and they tell somebody else, hey, you know, I, I need you on board. And the other person is like not comfortable, but then they realize that person has power. So they go along with it. And now you have someone, you have like now something ganging up on the person, right? You have an institution maybe ganging up on them because they have power to take this person out because one person perceived the situation a certain way. The other person's on board whether they do or not. And then nobody else has the courage to say, wait a minute, something about this smells fishy. This doesn't look right because maybe they're under those people or whatever. And so, so many injustices, whether it's racism or sexism or just plain jerkiness persists because of a lack of courage because people um side with the establishment when push comes to shove they will tell you they're a good person all day that they're not racist or they're not sexist or they're not this or that and when it comes to um them having to like stand forward and say something and put something at risk they won't do it and so i've seen this time after time after time where it's people's cowardice that allows injustice to occur. And so my bigger call is out to, to courage. And to me, that's the hardest call for me as well, to walk forward, doing what I think is right, knowing that I'm a fallible human being and being completely out of my comfort zone, but saying, hey, I'm on this ride. I'm in it to the end. If I ball it up, I ball it up. But uh, I'm going to have the courage. And even um, Martin Luther some people don't know who the original Martin Luther is. Yeah, yeah. said, if you're going to sin, sin boldly. And many people don't understand what that means. It doesn't mean don't look to the will of God. It means, you know, do your best to follow the will of God, to follow what you know is true. But whatever you're going to do, do it. And so that if you screw up, make it big. Because, like, if it's not big, then whatever you were going to do that was right is not big either. Yeah. Yeah. And so go forward, put it out there. And, you know, let's just see what happens. As the great David Goggins, uh, former Navy SEAL, former Ranger, he's been on Rogan a bunch of times, grew up like, you know, KKK in his hometown as a black guy. Dad beat the shit out of him, got really overweight. Wow. Now he runs like ultra marathons. He's a machine. He's, he's the toughest guy in the world. But um, uh -huh. the one thing he talks about is uh, breaching doors in Iraq. You're about to go into like a terrorist stronghold. And you don't know if anyone's in there or not. You don't know if there's a bomb rigged to the door. You don't know if there's a guy standing there with a shotgun. Maybe there's not. Mm -hmm. But he goes, when you're at the front, he goes, open the fucking door. Don't, don't push it open. Yeah. Open the fucking door. You might blow up and you're done. You might go in and lead a great raid. You might die instantly and they'll always remember you as the guy that opened the fucking door. Because whatever it is in life, if it's worth doing it, we're going to go through this door. We think there are terrorists in here who have, we clearly have deemed worth killing, open the fucking door. And he goes, that's just, so to me, that's my logic is, if I'm going to start interviewing all these doctors, I'm going to open the fucking door. I'm going to yeah. go in. And, and But don't think that there's not going to be fear involved. Courage is oh, not absolutely. It's terrifying. It's facing it. And, you know, and, and the fear might come at different points. There's times when, you know, like push comes to shove or you're opening the door and you're not fearful then. But maybe on the way there, thinking oh, yeah, about opening that door, you're, you're like, about to throw up. You're like, instead, you know? yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. And you're doing it. You don't care. And then, so, the, but yeah, no, it's leading up to it. You're like, what am I doing? I'm so stupid. Why am I doing this? I should be at home. But no, it's, if it's worth doing, do it. If you're going to, open the fucking door. 
just go in and let the person on the other side know, oh, this guy's not tiptoeing in. He's coming through the door. Right. Maybe there's nothing. Maybe there's everything. And with that, I will let you go to the chiropractor. Dr. All right. Parks. Well, thank you so much. This has been a fascinating interview. Not Definitely not run of the mill. It's not. Mo- everyone says that after. For better or worse, they're like, that wasn't what I was expecting. And I'm like, I take it as both a compliment and as, as an insult. And thank you. So <laughs> I, I. Well, now I want to go back. I haven't watched your other ones. I'm pretty busy. Um, now I want to go back and see what other people have to say about something besides maybe just the science or whatever. Oh, yeah. No, they're all they're all absurd. They're all, this is what it, it's all in, it is research. I don't know what is real. So we're going to get to the bottom of it. So thank you very well, much. Well, and it's such a more uh, multifaceted, interesting conversation to have because in the end, everything is all related. Yeah. If we, if we can't bring up chemtrails, the pyramids and the Illuminati, then we haven't had and a good skydiving. And skydiving, then we haven't had a good discussion. And that's just the reality of it. <laughs> if we can't drop a couple F-bombs and also bring up JFK, what are we even doing? So, exactly, Dr. Park. Well, I definitely have to consider you a friend now because yes, I feel like you, are. Had this you have no, you have no choice. That's the other thing is you are now a friend by default, and it will that friendship will only be voided upon my death. So, unfortunately, you are now my friend. <laughs> so I'll just watch what pills you take. Okay. Yeah, absolutely, Dr. Parks. Thank you so much. I will send you the link when it is up. I'd love to have you back on another time. Thank you so much for your time. It has been a pleasure. Absolutely. Same. God bless everybody. Stay safe. Recording stopped. Thank you so much.